I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences. For Type 40, your Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network, with me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, and your designated driver. Now, it could be you're completely new to the show, but it's just as likely you've been aboard before. Well, whichever, you'll be safe in the knowledge. We're still the free speaking and big thinking, eclectic and eccentric show for everyone, whatever decade or century you started watching, reading along to the adventures of our hero Doctor Who and with a new season of Doctor Who itself finally wrapping up on BBC One and all the other broadcasters all over the world we're making our way through over the final hurdles that are labeled Doctor Who flux throwing in a few laughs where we can as always so come and step into our TARDIS and share this journey together here with us on Type 40. And this time, reaching the point we all knew was coming, where the head writer and outgoing showrunner of Doctor Who, Mr. Chris Chibnall, gives his best stab at sort of connecting all of this stuff and nonsense that he's been rolling out to us over the last few weeks. My God. I think you need a lot of extra sort of spare brain cells just to uh, consider even considering it, really. So, yeah, it's been a, uh, a ratings killer. No surprises there. What's become more clear is what Chris Chibnall's game plan was from the moment that he took the job. His entire take on this show all hinges on the arc of the timeless child. That does seem to be what it's going to close out with. And this is chapter five of the Doctor Who series 13, The Flux Story, Survivors of the Flux. But let's be honest. The real title for this particular adventure adventure episode installment whatever whatever it is i think the real title should probably be double down and with me once again to uh, to take stock is the intrepid and the patient charlotte shields 
I'm here. You I'm made here. it. Yeah, I'm still watching, amazingly. <laughs> well, I say Doctor Who for life, Doctor Who fan for life, which sounds very, very glib. But the truth of the matter, <laughs> this can be absolutely agonising when we're being subjected to this kind of TV week in, week out, over five, six, seven, up to ten weeks, can't it? At least we've only got six this time. So you, you sort of go, <laughs> yep, only one more, you can sort of, it sort of helps yeah, you get yeah. along. And seeing as this one is even more chaotic than the one we had a couple of weeks ago, we had to reach out, didn't we, to the one man, the one voice in the Doctor Who fandom that I knew... Did I, did, I, did I sound convincing then, Charlotte? That I knew would be able to connect it all together for us and at least point to what may lead where. He's a lord of time and he is now an actual real-life lord as well as being a YouTuber, a writer and an artist. It's the uh, the rabbi from another planet, Lord Lebetkin. Hello, how are you, sir? Yes, I am. I forgot I am lorded. <laughs> My uh, uh, my son got me as a as a present an actual lord. It was normally three hundred dollars, but it was discounted down to eighty dollars, and so he split it with his his siblings. And they you get like a foot of land in Scotland, and you actually become a lord. I'm a, like I'm a Scottish lord. So <laughs> a lord or a laird? What's the difference? This is I, feel I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I listen. Like Prince Charles went to Wales to understand where he would be the prince of. I should go to that little corner of that. That put the land. It's a real money maker, though. It's some gentry somewhere up north. He said, "You know what? I bet people pay for that." And you know what? He was right. Well, <laughs> Rabbi, I, I think it's only polite that you go and show your face at least. Oh well, yes. I, I have to say, I have to find it. it uh, I got the plot number. It's that's amazing. It's real, uh, uh, which is in stark contrast to uh, uh, Survivors of the Flood. Oh my God! <laughs> this was when Chibnall had to reveal his cunning plan. Before we recount the episode, I just want to say it out so we so we know it's clear. Yes. Uh, uh, the person sort of in charge, but we wouldn't understand it because we're too stupid, of the Division, who is a super evil Illuminati that's been around it, the entire universe and is uh, in control of everything, always but totally secret, is Tectoon, the stunning and brave woman who found the Doctor. And then for some reason, and then the Doctor's kind of upset that she didn't leave the kid to die alone on the... <laughs> They find him by this building. Does anybody think to look inside the building? No! They're like, oh no, there's nothing there that can possibly... There's probably an instruction manual. Anyway, so she takes her in, kills yeah. him many times so she can learn how to have that same superpower, right? So as, as any loving mother would. Then uh, they, they form this division thing, right? And they she's a part of the division, but she doesn't stay and the division lets her go. However, the Doctor is just so good, so stunning, so brave. You know, in this incarnation, because all the other time, no, they, they, they couldn't give us off. This one, who doesn't have two brain cells, drops go. She's so inspiring that they have to kill her. Now, how are they going to kill her? By destroying the universe, by releasing the flux. Whatever could go wrong with that plan? What can it? But then she even evilly stops the flux, destroying the universe by throwing a TARDIS in front of it, and then they contract the Weeping Angels <laughs> to kidnap her to take her outside of time and space. So she won't get killed when they destroy the universe. Okay, but the, I guess they're committed to the plan at this point. And then she says, Ecky thump, no. Does she even say that? I can't remember where we end up on this piece of garbage. 
quite. I found the last two or three minutes just listening to you a lot more entertaining than I did. Well, you know, nearly it's... fifty that I had to spend watching Survivors of the Flux. It, 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 it's not a high bar to get over now, is it? It isn't, <laughs> Charlotte. We're nearly at the final at the final chapter, though, as of time of recording. Has this gone quickly for you? Certain episodes, yes, because certain episodes were blatantly very self-contained, old-fashioned Doctor Who stories. Yeah, and then one others... episode was. Well, no, you, I suppose you had War of the Suntarans and the Angel. Right. And they felt like the... The Angel good. one, it was a... The, the Angel one was just very interconnected with the rest of the garbage. Yeah, but if you think about the main sort of thing that got moved... Right, to, right, yeah, I agree. It, it was the Angels. The episodes like the first one, like the third one, like this one, these feel like Chibnall oh, has got so much going on. And he's doing right. This is the canon episode, guys. This is the explanation <laughs> episode. He's all very labelled. Well, you, I imagine you do a try giant it. pin board in Chibnall's right. office with bits of string and little pins all over the place, and him just sort of staring blankly at it, trying to work out where he connected what to where and why and what colour string means which character. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look at these things. Look, 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 look at the moray they have on there. That, like, that, just that one element is so stupid. The doctor seems to know who and what they are, but they never, but she doesn't know anything about the temple of Atropos on the planet Time. God, that's just the the stupidest name. I mean, like, only John, am I, I convinced that some of these characters and names we're probably never going to see again. Or what's also struck me is that the one character that they managed to get us to connect with, okay, two, two if I include another one that we're going to talk about in a little while. The one character that we could put a name to throughout this entire series of flux. Claire, she vanished again. This oh, week, yes. She's nowhere. It's incredible. Before we get any deeper into this story, though, I think we should uh, yeah, just remind you that if you'd like to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every ed edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know where to look. There's dozens of great conversations, reviews, previews, geek outs, and deep dives with all our regular panelists and some fantastic guests. We know there's something for every fan at type40.podbean.com. That's the home of Type 40, as well as all the other places you can catch up with the podcast. There'll be some more about all of that a little later on, as well as the inevitable point where we make contact with the matrix of all knowledge. To us, that's the Fandom Podcast Network, and we'll be having a, a few words about all the other cult conversations that are going on across all the other shows over there. Yes, yeah, so as you can hear, everybody's under starter's orders to get cracking here. <laughs> Hold tight, Chris. This okay. could be a bumpy ride. <laughs> Before we go further, I, I, I have to you know, yes. get this important message in. The worst point of ever being a Doctor Who fan uh, was if anybody ever saw the last part of Trial of the Time Lord, where yeah. Bonnie Langford says in a breathless voice, a megabyte modem was the uh, Valiar's evil plan. And it was just yeah. like, you hoped nobody you knew saw that because it was just <laughs> embarrassing. That was the nadir of being a Doctor Who fan up until <laughs> we got the planet time. Here's the thing, I can raise you planet time. Go ahead. M my mission is love. I'm going to go wash my ears out now. Oh. Oh. <laughs> We're talk back to talk about Chapter 5, Survivors of the Flux. And if you decide to skip this one and let us watch it for you, 
We're going to fill you in now with the general. Oh. Can, can you call this a plot? No. Is this you back the right horse on this one if you skip this. Written, daubed out by Chris Chibnall, and it went something like this. As the forces of evil mass, Yaz and Dan face a perilous journey and seemingly insurmountable obstacles in a quest for survival. Whilst the Doctor herself comes face to face <laughs> face to face with a forgotten figure from her own past after she's transported by the Weeping Angels to a Division spacecraft. But who is ordering an Ood to create a final devastating flux event? <laughs> yeah, this is Survivors of the Flux, originally broadcast on the 28th of November 2021. Uh, yeah, I, I forgot about Yaz. Indiana Yaz and the Temple yes. of Cringe. It like first yes. they break, they do this Tomb Raider thing. They, they break into this like Aztec tomb, and like Dan falls down because he's an idiot, who's a white man. <laughs> then Yaz comes down gracefully. She knows everything. Yeah. How like, okay. did this happen? How did Yaz become the brains of this outfit? That flashlight she's got is what I would trust that judgment more than I'll trust no, Yaz's no, judgment. No. It's more silly because you have Dan and then you literally have a professor. Last episode <laughs> was seen to be very sciencey, was very intelligent, seemed to know a lot to do with like very much worldy things as well. But no. Very grounded character yeah. as well. He's become background now. He's taking orders from Yaz. How do they have all this money? They right, have right, I've got no time. idea how any of this happened. Re realistically, no idea at all. They're, they're pristine the entire time. We see them trekking across the world. One minute at the Great Wall of China. Next, they're in Constantinople or wherever it was. Barely a mark on them. Clean as a whistle. What, what they, was they the whole man seen about? Oh, that, what was that? I'll tell you why that character exists. I mean, I had to look up. That's Kami Darwesh who plays this character, Kumar. This character was introduced solely so that people, the, the former Tumblr generation, could now make memes out of. The only reason that character is there. Oh, it was so obvious that this was Chibnall trying to be funny. This gave me, do you know like the Transformer movies where Michael Bay would try to do jokes? Or he'd drop in some wildly eccentric character yes. to run around for five minutes and to be all sort of, the end of the world is nigh and all the rest of it. Yes. And he'd get squashed by a, a falling drinks machine or a stomping transformer. Yeah. And it'd be, well, wasn't that funny? Wasn't that a bit of levity in this in this nonsense? In de in defense, I mean, I thought this guy was one <laughs> that Darwesh actually put in one of the more convincing performances in the so, entire so thing. Is, is, is he famous? He is now. He's famous as the guy with the turban on the Doctor Who memes. That's how he's famous now. Oh, he's... like a comedian or something people know? Oh no, he's not a comedian not because it but it was it, it was like a five year old trying to do comedy. Because obviously yeah. the joke was he's a hurt he's lived on top of a mountain, he's not been in touch with, with anybody, so he wouldn't yeah. know what's going on in the world. That's the joke, which isn't a bad joke. But when you do it ten times in the same scene, <laughs> You sort of get and you played it. You played it really weird as well, like this, like excited, bumbling kid. I, 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 did, I didn't understand it. It was just weird. So the whole the, thing the was other weird. The reason was so we could get a Carvinistic scene afterwards. 
because that was the whole M. Point. Which also went nowhere. Come and call your dog, was it? Yeah, something like that. Come and get, like. Fetch your human. This episode was directed by Azhur Salim again, and it had got the same feel, hadn't it? Not just in the way that it looked, but now you're talking about the both of you. I I think the same total disconnection between all the actors. They all seem totally atomized. Like some of them are in different shows all together. And in many respects, like we're, wa we're watching a succession of scenes from lots of other shows cut, sort of spliced together to make whatever this is. Yeah, because Tonal, like Whitlash, you had this comedy scene, you had like also the scene in the ship, which almost was at times felt like it should have been comedy. Then you had the Grand Serpent stuff, which was supposed to be dark and sinister. Then you had Jodie. What sort of John Le Carre, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy yeah. kind of thing. Like, they want you to get excited, but like, it's not very exciting. <laughs> Let's be honest, some of the cliffhangers in this season have been quite strong. And last week's, you know, it was a prime example. That was a good cliffhanger. When we last saw the Doctor, she'd been encased in stone and she had become, for all intents, a weeping angel. But just like the majority of these cliffhangers that we've been given in this season. Disposable. It's, yeah, it's completely yeah. disposable. It's all sorted within 20 or 30 seconds. The Weeping Angels themselves seem to be, have been reduced to some sort of teleportation system, a taxi service even, at the bidding of, I don't know. My understanding is they're like some kind of like, for like mercenary force so you can get to do all kinds of things. And this kind is like just one are a, a private yeah, police force. Yeah, yeah, like an evil Jadoon, so what's do, who also reasonably evil. Do, do, but, do you know what these cliffhangers, I've, I've, I've sort of, realize what he's done they're youtube clips they purposely are being written ah. so you can put on your twitter account the dot two twitter official twitter or on the youtube channel you can put the two minute clip probably some truth in that we've been treated wow. to some real extremes from jody whittaker all of which have, have been diabolical the latest of which was this cringe inducing oh, scene oh stop oh the talking to yaz. yes we've got a hologram doctor don't we talk talking to yaz it's like a two-way conversation the the entire thing i mean i can't be convinced by this relationship it doesn't work i think i've said before they've got even less chemistry when it's just the two of them than that than they had when there was a, a, a principal cast of four in the tardis that this is i'm not any more enamoured with this dynamic now than I was week one of series 11. Every chance she gets, I don't know whether they actually recorded the scene together and they added the effect to the Doctor afterwards. What do you think is Laurence Olivier? Rabbi, how could it be so... But if they were in the same room, there'd be a bit more truth to it than this. I mean, even, the, even these tiny, the more intimate moments between these characters, Charlotte, I just don't believe them. Because they're not given enough room to breathe. Because especially in this series, he spent half the run separating these two. Or having Yaz be put in danger. They're never together. So and you think it would be a lot easier to keep two characters together than it is to keep four together. Yeah, so the problem is when you, when you try to do the scene, and I saw it for what it was as well, this is the blatant Yaz and Doctor were uh, a loving couple sort of thing he's trying to push. And it's not, I don't buy it. I know certain parts of the fandom do, but for me, it is just two actresses who have no chemistry and the forced lines. Like when they were doing the whole, oh, I miss you. I was like, I'm sorry, you spent, like I said before, most of this series shouting at each other. I think in real life, they do have chemistry. As people. Yeah, I just think they're terrible actresses. Do you think that he was trying to recreate that moment with the Christopher Eccleston hologram 
in yes. the finale of yes. series one where, yes. where he's talking to Rose. Obviously. Like, again, like Star Trek Discovery, whenever this rips off uh, or comes close to real Doctor Who, it's at its worst. The thing that struck me about, about watching this, about reflecting on it in particular, is how, I mean, your summary there, genuinely, that that did sort of clear clear away some of the fog for me, but the rest of it was so furious. I can't remember which scene came after what, which of the various sort of truckloads of exposition that were dumped at our feet came after which, no idea. It, it jumped around, not just from place across across the earth, across the globe, but time zones, planets, dimensions. At least the Grand Serpent uh, thing had a story to it. He, ha he had a plan and that made reasonable sense. Earth's going to be the last planet surviving in the flux. It could be because the doggy shield around it, which doesn't make sense. But he knows it's going to be the last place surviving in the flux. He was some big deal out in the universe. And so he's gone back in time and made himself a bolt hole in this last safe place to like barter himself something at the end of the universe right that so, all made sense why? this nothing at all makes like they, they go from place to place to place to place to write a giant message by the great great wall of china which no one's going to see for a couple of hundred years for reasons that we don't understand saying get your human or whatever <laughs> it, it's just it's absolutely absolutely baffling Carvinista character, I'm I'm still not sold on that. You know, I see why some people like it, I suppose. I like him. I like Carvinista. I think it's played with a degree of fun, and I can see what they're trying to do with that. But whenever he turns up, I think, oh, yeah, him, rather than, oh, brilliant, Carvinista again, the way that you should after a few appearances. I just think, oh, yeah, him. Yeah, characters like uh, like Jellico, played by Kevin McNally, who I I thought was, was oh, really interesting and and grounding in the Village of the Angels. I can't work out why he's in this at all, and presumably he's going to be in the sixth one too. He's in the trailer again with Claire, doing something in the TARDIS. I think. Oh, so Claire will Claire will be and and another character, Diane, played by Nadia Albina. Die. She turns up in this as well. Last time we saw her, she was a normal woman that, that you could relate to, you know, to one of the performances that I've believed in more in this, this entire story. But here when we see her, she's... she's die hard with one arm. Exactly. She's been transported wherever, for whatever reason, to a completely alien environment. She's become this sort of quasi-Ellen Ripley figure, all of a sudden yeah. with a sort of... How are you going to do that, single-handed? She seems completely at home in her environment not remotely intimidated not scared in any way got it covered so she's gone from being a tour guide to being this warrior in the blink of an eye we've seen well, none that, of this that, that, as that, always maybe, maybe you 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 didn't notice but she is uh, uh you can tell that she's stunning and brave because she's in fact a woman uh and she has one arm i don't know how you didn't pick up on those signs that she's a you know <laughs> but, but to give them credit and i rarely do this with this production team at least in the script they haven't focused on that with her at least it's yes you can see it, it's on screen but they're not banging you over the head with it like so i quite like that actress i think the yeah it's a character one of the more believable characters i could have actually have done with seeing a lot more of but now you've said that was she cast to type i want to have a disabled character visible in this story this we're going to cast an actress who has one arm or did the idea that oh no I really I know a really good character to play in this I'd like to have her in Doctor Who which came first okay to answer that question 
you've seen all of Star Trek, right? Yeah. All of Star Trek. There seems to be one place, one place where they've really assigned all the people in wheelchairs. One place in Star Trek. And that's on Discovery. Yes, that's very there, true. So, very true. So there's a reason for that, right? Same reason it ended up uh, that, that they made Diane had have one arm. It's just to say that, like, I can't stand them keep telling me that types of people are people too. I believe everybody's a person. I believe everybody's a person. I don't need to be lectured that you're a person if you're in any way different from me. I've un I've understood that since I think probably always, right? I think generation were raised very much. Yeah, it's so unbelievably transparent the motivation. My bigger issue with her is, for me, what I'm all she's become to me is something for Dan to say at the end of the series. <laughs> She's just become just, a damsel in distress because just an investment for that character. Yeah. And it's like, don't think about what she's done. Like, obviously, in the first episode, she sort of showed us a bit of Dan's sort of personality and background, and then she got captured, and she's just been captured since the second. Then she episode. was in Once Upon Time again, wasn't she? And that's pretty much been it. Yeah, again so talking for me, to Dan. It's she's just there for a bit of investment for Dan, and that's my problem with Chibnall's characters. They're not characters; they're functions. Even the information they put in about Diane to make her be able to pass the Bechdel test is put in as a function rather than as a character. He's he's basically an accountant yeah, who who should never have gone into writing. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you look at like Jackie Tyler, if you you could say, oh, she's her function. If you try to use the same logic, is She's she's Rose's normal life. She's the touching point for her life before the Doctor, for like what she had, what she was miserable about. But it's also that sort of familiar sort of if we've all had a Jackie, sort of we all know a Jackie. Yeah, exactly. The thing is, Russell did more than just give her that function of single mum, mum and um, Rose's mum. She had. She went on the TARDIS. She even got involved in the in the journey's end, the big thing, the big sort of everybody gets together. She even had a really good scene in an episode, which isn't very well liked. He had fun. He had fun with that character, didn't he? And he, well, he no, rewarded okay. the what, audience. What What made Jackie Tyler adorable, and then we all love Jackie Tyler, is her flaws, right? Her flaws are things we all relate to. Like she was like she was flirty with the Doctor, and that was wonderful. And she's like. A little bit bullshy and she's like kind of selfish and like but she's kind of but she's a good friend to have you know you you we know people like her right but she's she has flaws which which makes people interesting right which is yeah when you write to identity and you say well this person can't have any flaws because they got this identity then they become that's where their story ends it all every time when they gender swap a character or make them gay or whatever, whatever they do that's always where the story ends like superman they just made superman gay okay and now he doesn't do it he doesn't fly around doing stuff anymore he protest superman protests climate change i mean like but like, you know like, like <laughs> that's where the I'd story heard something. ends i've heard something about that well let's go from one let's, from one mother to another from Jackie to uh, to this character, to oh, 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 oh. Now, when when you were last on the show, Rabbi, we threw it out there because there were rumours that Barbara Flynn's character, the great actress Barbara Flynn, been on British television since the eighties, certainly 
there was speculation that she was going to be playing the white guardian and i i completely bought into that i thought that that's yeah. exactly who she yeah, was going to be you know what you know why you bought into that because your brain is attuned to think uh, think it's not going to go to the shittest most obvious thing you like you know like you just like you naturally assume i'm not going to do the most stupid thing you could possibly imagine Oh, no, no, I am. I'm Chris Chibnall. I've done it many times before. You're right, Chris Chibnall. I don't know why I'm surprised. I mean, that's really the conversation that I had. So she's playing She's playing this character, Tektui. Oh, God. She's playing this... I can't even say the character's names, everybody. I can't... I can't remember or say the names of the episodes a great deal of the time. I have no idea who a lot of these characters are. The odd instance where i do know who they are i can't even say their names chris chibnall you're uh, you are a shocking writer tech Taeun. so this character who we've only ever really been told about before by the master in another story altogether turns out barbara flynn is playing her after all the doctor very briefly met her a couple of episodes ago in another kind of mystery box style daydream but no, they're face to face in this episode and of course barbara flynn being absolutely awesome acts jodie whittaker clean off the screen the woman is completely outclassed oh, wouldn't she be great this. as a doctor she'd be that, bloody wouldn't fantastic. that have been an awesome series oh man kills me i mean to, to see them squaring up to one another like that i mean look and... at this it's ridiculous jodie's using every bit of her but her mass she and her power and she's nothing compared to barbara flynn not She's not like her moving. body language is just like so calm, <laughs> so not threatened. It's incredible. She barely moves a muscle, even in her face, and she's got so much more. But she just seems much more believable, even with lines like the nonsense that she's given to <laughs> given to speak in this. So this character of Tektay, and we saw her in the Master's narration of the Timeless Child story back at the end of Series Twelve. There's no reason why anybody should recognise this character in any way it's typical it's exactly the kind of storytelling that chris chibnall fell back on when he was doing Broadchurch. there were never any clues to anything that was going on in that so why would there be why would there be in this i can only imagine what an actor what as a talent as consummate and as high profile as barbara flynn made of this character when it was given to her on paper sorry I, i'm playing who again and who is this and i I'd love to have been there as they were trying to explain to her. Maybe she was just happy to be in Doctor Who. Just seeing that she's going to be in a big finish. I do hope that's better than you know this what, what, terrible what, what, part. Uh, what I reckon she did? I, I bet she called Derek Jacobi. <laughs> Derek Jacobi like, oh yes, no, no, it's all going to be right. And, and he, he calmed her down. I, that's exactly what I think happened. <laughs> Yeah, but she's she's. Um, I won't say she's brilliant because you can't be brilliant when you're given material like this, you know. But she's uh, she's welcome weight to all of the fluff that's going on around it, and she, yeah, she Im immediately disqualifies, wipes the floor with with Jodie Whittaker's doctor as anybody, even Lenny Henry did that. <laughs> and, you know, it's not that hard, is it really? But as this is all being explained to us again, I mean, this is what we what we mean when we say the use the expression double down because all this really did and all that tech Taeyun was really there for was to underline to reinforce the uh, the story that had been told to us by the master at the end of the last season to confirm that the doctor is the timeless child this horrendous retcon of the doctor who origin this 
vandalism of Doctor it's Who's so precious romantic lore. That's it. It's just so banal. I mean, really, the it, it's it's like you know, it would be great if it was an interest. If it was anything. If was any merit to this story whatsoever. None at all. Just Nowhere it isn't. Can go. It's just people say, "Oh, you can tell so many more stories now." No, you can't. You can tell the same stories. They just mean that you can tell them with other genders, other ethnicities. Yeah. Other, you can slot in. You can do this. You can do that. You can you can uh, deconstruct. That's there's nothing positive that pe that can be done. There are no more stories that you can tell with this new origin on the table than you could before. Not a single one. And yet, what have we lost to to have this instead? So so much, Charlotte. Yeah, the problem is it's she's purely there for exposition, and this is how Chibnall was doing this whole overall arc. It's not characters that you care about it's not forging the doctor's character because i was noticing this in the angels episode all of jody's purpose of the doctor this series is to stand there and ask questions she's not got any that's that's she's, it was like it in that. series 12 as well i mean that, that's all she's i mean like she was a bus driver in series 11 in series 12 she's like yeah i don't understand this can't be of course you don't understand you're a doofus my god like, I'm amazed you can understand how to put your shoes on. No, but it's like, this is the whole arc. If it was, it's a terrible arc, but at least if it was done with somebody with a bit of know-how, this would actually make the character change a lot, having all these revelations. And I think in Chris's head, that's what he thinks he's doing. But because Jodie's not changing, she's just stand there asking questions. Tatiana's just there to give a whole load of exposition. To, in yeah, we've seen her do we've seen her do this time and time again haven't we just just pace from one set to the other change her expression up from the the three settings that it's got depending on what the response that the material needs to get from her while she stares blankly at whatever i mean there's probably the thing about this whole timeless children thing is there's probably some groundwork in here that would have made a halfway halfway diverting maybe Low tier sci fi show, I think, as we've said before, no, Rabbi. No, on a no, no, it would, yeah, it even the idea. Well, I noticed in, in this, we've got these these visuals where the doctor uh, discovers yeah, Tech laboratory. Seen this is all, I think I mean, you, could, you could say that in some respects, this is all very British. I think that uh, her, her contraption with all these universes, it all looks like a tree, so it's got roots and foliage. It's, it seems like she's Tectayuna's mother nature. And this is sort of the great ash tree and all those all those old stories about the origins of, of the earth about the natural order of things and paganism too i think all of this is in there somewhere which would have all been considerably more interesting in another uh, series I, altogether I, 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 my, my my biggest hope is this that uh, uh chris general and jody Whitaker, upon realizing the utter devastation they've wrought upon their careers and they cut they're unemployable right they hatched the plan from their their job in McDonald's, right? They hatch the plan, they pull together <laughs> their, their remaining funds, and they pay people to scrub this era from the internet. Like, so it never happened. Like, completely. We never did like, it. We never and did that it. would be some kind of weird uh, just loop. <laughs> you know, that Mobius loop to this whole horrible affair that they themselves are the ones that erase it from reality. Because this is the opposite of a showcase. This is, this is something that you never, ever want anybody to. It's exposure. It's, it's it really is. It really makes it look so bad. 
all, yeah, all of their weak <coughs> points are amplified. The other issue I had with this whole stuff was it, it sort of served two purposes. It was the Timeless Child double down and sort of explaining a little bit, but also the, the division. We actually got a bit of an explanation what the division is. You did? You think? That, does that make any sense to you? Well, no, but this is what I'm going to get to. We've just heard the name thrown around a lot. We've not actually had a character even attempt to try and explain it to us. But the problem is Chibnall wrote it in such like an airy sort of not really nailing down what it was, just saying a load of big impressive words together. And I was like trying to think like why isn't the division working for I know for, for me, probably for other fans who are similar, like compare it to Unit or Torchwood, we actually had characters once again like the brig obviously with unit the doctor worked there so he was a part of it that's why we sort of started to care well, it was, was rolled out over time as well wasn't it? yeah we, and and also with torchwood you actually saw what they were doing a lot by the time we got to the doomsday two part finale you saw we understood the, the purpose you you saw what they did whilst the division it still feels like it's really up in the air well, I'd say even more than that, is. Charlotte. I think he's already, just a year on from us first hearing the words The Division, a year, 18 months on, I feel that he's retconned his own creation already. And now it's totally different <laughs> to something that he gave us little more than eight episodes ago. Well, the, the problem is, and that's another issue when she was explaining, like, oh, we started as this small little group in Gallifrey, and that's what we saw in The Timeless Child. That matches that. But I just kept what she's asking, talking about is religion, isn't it? It's it's. Yeah. Uh, but what I kept religion. asking is, so you started off small, but you've not explained how you got this powerful, that you can literally hop a universe, you can get weeping angels on your payroll. It's like it's become such a big, powerful thing, and that she could build and sustain this facility as well that that is sat between two universes because there's been a lot people have made a big deal about of the fact that the word multiverse has been spoken in a doctor who episode i believe for the first time in this story doctor who has arguably had a multiverse in existence in continuity for just over 50 years now i'd say if you looking back at stories like inferno uh, battlefield age of steel <coughs> left or new and classic series doctor who the multiverse parallel worlds parallel universes are nothing new they always think they've reinvented the wheel it's the funniest thing they i mean like like i, I don't know i don't know <laughs> there's so much about this doesn't make any sense to me i like i just what does any of it bring what is what is in its gift of any worth, either short term or long term. So I can't think of anything. Not, I mean, re again, it's just made a much more boring backstory, really. Made it more like, like every other show on TV, yeah, or every, yeah, every other fact, fictional universe. Every other very forgettable. It, I mean, it's, they've taken something truly classic and iconic and turned it into the Arrowverse. Something that, yeah, something that was ironically, Charlotte, the original origin of Doctor Who was timeless. Yeah, because it was a it was a proper mystery, not Chibnall mystery, which is I'm going to chuck a bit of information. A mystery box. In what? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a mystery box, and it's <clears throat> it's just so. And I think the reason why it's boring is because the only way you can ever deliver this type of story is exposition. 
that's the only way you can do it because it's not about people it's not about characters working together it's not about any of those things it's just information it's basically the equivalent of watching a wikipedia entry that you right i get, get i guess yeah yeah and that's all this yeah. is doing it's just visual wikipedia and, and once he's I've done with it, it in my head yeah once he's done with it once he's done with her tech Tayun, barbara flynn she's pretty much blinked out of existence done with her right, turn to ash. right? questions no okay you no, there you go. Push, push. yeah 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 but she served her function so now right she's right right everything Again, you can it's, say. it's more it's more like writing by software really isn't it it's 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 uh Shocking! I mean, it, it is, but like without through, through this sea of like me mediocrity, you, we do have like uh, it's, things that are extremely good. I Jellico, I think I like I love that performance. I love uh, I still like Swarm, even though it's like he's oh, delivered yeah. the most cringy lines. They're like, "We are time and you are space, and I will eat you." Like, it was the most cringiest lines humanly possible. Right? He's still good. <laughs> I still like. I want more yeah, of this guy. Sam Spruel playing Swarm with great relish, and this Roshenda Sandal she plays Azure, who hasn't done a great deal more. But I think that character is sort of becoming a bit more interesting as as uh, right, as it goes on. right. I, I I still think it's uh, uh, lampooning Lawrence Fox. Right? <laughs> That's really. I think they want to make Lawrence Fox the villain. <laughs> Simply the, the because the way he delivers his lines. Yeah, the problem though with Swarm, I quite liked him. And I still do, like I said, it's a really good performance. But he's just become Mr. Cliffhanger. He's just become, I'll pop up at the end of the episode. Right. To put some characters in danger. Right, right. That's, yeah, that's the end think, of episode have, two. Haven't we had, yeah, we've had two cliffhangers so far. At least two where Swarm oh, has walked into a room <laughs> and threatened somebody. Yeah, and that's been... That's been largely it. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why I, I find this whole thing, I find this whole thing so so thin and unconvincing. What, what, what's the title of episode three again? That really awful one with it come out on time. Yeah, where he had the doctor's monologue at the beginning, her like her internal monologue. Oh God, that was so cringe. Oh, yeah, you know, right in the places very quickly. In my eye, I see who's in trouble. <laughs> Talking about plot devices, let's quickly uh, talk about. I think we might have forgotten that these two characters exist. Let's talk about Belle and Vinda, shall we? Oh, yeah. Are, Are you now, the, the, the Doctor's parents? Uh, well, that was going to be, yeah, my question, really. I'm getting this sinking feeling. As of time of recording, we, we've got one episode left of this stuff to see. And these characters exist just on the outskirts of everything that's going on. They're two plates that he is keeping, two parallel plates that he is spinning at either end of a, of a big room just to just to keep them there. There were one or two scenes they were in at best. I think both Thaddea Graham and Jacob Anderson are, are good enough in these in these roles. Neither of the characters are particularly interesting, particularly credible. I mean, they must, it, be, it, there. They must be there for some reason. And knowing that she is carrying a child, she wouldn't be carrying a child unless that was going somewhere too. We've got a whole arc here called the Timeless Child. It really has to be that simple, and and the, the idea that these two characters are the Doctor's parents it makes my teeth itch. You know the fact that we're going to have another <laughs> layer of origin, no origin at all for fifty-five plus years. 
Then we have one wave of origin and another. Okay, okay. It's all going away. None of this is staying, okay? Now, this is all going to be gone by 2023. See, click your heels together and say there's no place like like, 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 honestly, right now, my my copy of Twice Upon a Time fades out, you know, fades to white, right? If if Rusty Davis isn't doing a full reboot, I'll keep it that way. If not, I'll find some way of linking it with the... That is not a bit... This is all going, okay? Rusty yeah. Davis stands to stands to make a fair amount of money if he can make Doctor Who successful, like super super money if he can make Doctor Doctor Who successful. Plus, I do believe he feels his reputation has been tarnished. I really do. All right, I think it because it used to be like I bought Doctor Who back, and people think, "Oh, Doctor Who, that's an incredible thing." But entertainment industry just exists in the freaking moment. They don't remember two minutes ago, and they go, "Now he goes, I brought Doctor Who back." They're like, "Oh, that garbage." Right, it doesn't matter. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I, I think I think it's going to be woke. I, I mean, I think the uh, uh, the rumor of the guy from uh, uh, It's a Sin, uh, uh, Amari Douglas. What? What's the name? Amari Douglas. You talking yeah, about? Yeah, listen. Rumors, I he's, think he's, I, he's from, I, I saw some little bit of research. He sounds like he'll be excellent. Um, I, I have no problem with the black. Yeah, I think he's fantastic. Like, Brilliant. Yeah, actor. I think. But I think it's going to be woke, whatever. But I think most most importantly. It's gonna sell, right? It's gonna if it's gonna sell, it's gonna be good. <laughs> so that that that's really the bottom line. He's uh, not an actor that when I when I watched It's a Sin, and I know we're going slightly off on a tangent. When I watched It's a Sin, there was there were two characters, two actors that I felt just totally lit that up. And I hate to say this, Amari Douglas was was one of them. He was the main one. Whenever that man walks into a scene in that in that particular crackling screen presence he had amazing screen presence chemistry with absolutely everybody completely and utterly magnetic he was part of a strand of the story that ran uh, with stephen fry's uh, stephen fry's character and obviously stephen fry's been around forever you know he's a really you know he's a good solid actor but he's a big personality and and a younger actor of about 27 28 could have easily have disappeared next to stephen fry but Amari Douglas absolutely went went toe to toe with him. But talking about picks for the Doctor, for years a pick that I had for the Doctor during the entire time that it was in its wilderness years was uh, was the actor Robert Bathurst. And uh, of course, we're now several years on, and, and Robert is no longer the the uh, golden haired forty year old who starred in such things as Cold Feet and early episodes of Red Dwarf. He's now in his mid sixties, and we got to see him finally in Doctor Who. In this episode, playing Farquhar, who is a, uh, a go- <laughs> I know, sounds like I'm sure there was a name. There was a character in a Carry On film called Stuart Farquhar, and so whenever I hear that, I always think of I always think of that. Stuart Farquhar was uh, was played by Julian Holloway in the Carry On movies. But yeah, Robert Bathurst is in this at last. He plays this sort of he plays a proto version of the Brigadier again. Doesn't even get several Brigadier like, like like a stupid Brigadier. I mean, I I, I wonder yeah. if we're gonna have Doctor Nookie in Great this week's episode. That'd be that'd be <laughs> that'll, that'll certainly be right One can only hope. But we, yeah, this whole strand of story again. Not only do we see Robert Bathurst playing this Farquhar character who's in it for a couple of scenes as a bumbling fool and then, and then quickly killed, but it does give them an opportunity to reintroduce a unit. And the character of Kate Stewart. Still well, they got to Red their uh, their their resolution gaff, 
right? Yeah, that, I, that's <coughs> and, and I guarantee you they're saying, this was their plan all along. No, it wasn't! Did Christian no, not have wasn't, a change Ryan. of heart over Unit and realise that, that he'd cocked it up by disbanding Unit in the 2018 Christmas special? Or was this part of his plan all along? And I'm with you, Rabbi. I think that it was a massive cock-up. And he's been told that by the end of his time in Doctor Who, he needs to have all of the toys back in the box. And uh... I, I, I've heard that rumor as well. Which means, where is this going, right? I, I, it seems to me that they're going to carry on in a new... I think by the end of this episode, we're going to be in a new universe at the end of the, the, this episode and exploring it for for her last three feet. And the, the new universe is going to be based on the old one. So it'll be... Another reset, like we got at the end of the Big Bang, the Matt Smith story, where everything sort of contracted and expanded. Essentially, again. essentially, yeah. And then I think Russell Davis will probably start off with some kind of reboot. Yeah, because I, I quite like the Kate stuff because I knew she was in this episode. But again, she's a very dependable actress, isn't she? Gemma Redgrave is good in everything. She plays this part. She plays this part as well as she needs to. I won't. I won't shower with praise because it's not that kind of part and she's not that kind of actress but it does ground it again doesn't it charlotte somehow oh yeah it's it's because i the only bits i sort of enjoyed at all was basically her and craig parkinson because they were the only actors that were actually doing anything he's Um, been consistently good throughout all of this i don't care about the character don't care about this strand of the story whatsoever but i think he's been excellent yeah, listen. If he if he could be the master and uh, Sasha Wan been the meddling monk, I think I think they might have been onto something. Yeah, but the only like I said, I really like his acting, and I like because for people who don't know, that actor's really good at playing villains. That's sort of his. He's a bit typecast now, but that's what he tends to play. So they've given him a character obviously he can do, and he's relishing in it. But once again, you can't fully connect with his character because you don't know enough about him. He's sort of just, especially in this episode, he seemed to just so seamlessly like in, get into unit and get to all the important people and sort of get the power without really, there's a few throwaway lines about time travel and sort of things he can do and obviously his power, but it just seems like Chibnall just is like, right, you're my villain. You need to be get to this point and I'll just plop you there. Without why on earth did he he infiltrate unit of all things as well because yeah this is another thing that the fandom have been angry about with this episode because it seems to throw out all the dates for when unit was founded throws into question two who founded it and even why so why do this unless you had some sort of unless you had been given a remit by i don't know who by whoever employed Chibnall in the first place to put all the toys back where you found them. Because realistically, a character like that, and this entire plot could have, it would have been a lot easier, it would have been a lot more fit for his purposes if it hadn't have been Unity infiltrated, but actually Torchwood now, you've you've mentioned the, that setup because yeah. it was already clandestine anyway. Yeah, well, well, near Unity. Well, okay, good. Could be that that that's what was well, the original plan was before they got rid of uh, uh, John Barrowman. Oh, of course. Yeah, so some of this could have been reallocated. Reallocated. And he thought, oh, good, we can do unit stuff, and we can like we can have like the old unit headquarters and that sort of thing. That and was a nice varies. moment where we heard when we heard Nicholas Courtney's voice from behind the door. Was I thought that was done really, really well. See, I I didn't it, think that was his voice. 
Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't John Corshaw. Not this time. It was a. It was a sound clip of Nicholas Courtley. That's that's the I have to, I was, I have to, I to, to okay. uh, listen again before tonight's episode. But generally speaking, and there were mentions, weren't there, of, of uh, the War Games, the the classic nineteen sixty six story, which predated Unit and was, I won't say a dry run for Unit, but it's seen as a step towards the Troughton era, which was when we eventually did get Unit and all those all those elements of Doctor Who that would be so prominent in the early seventies, were all all those pieces of the puzzle sort of came together. But generally speaking, I think that going anywhere near unit like this and mixing up dates and throwing in extra characters and uh, questions, because it's always been accepted that the Brigadier founded unit, isn't it? And now, maybe he didn't. Well, no, when yes. we now know he didn't, because the first scene with Serpent was a fella saying, I'm thinking of setting up unit. So we now know the Grand Serpent was to do with the origin. And that's another thing of, that this thing of tribunal seems to be an obsession that it's like anything that has any long-term like canon sort of relevance or importance it's like he has to insert himself into it or through his characters and that's what it, it does seem to me, me that he yeah. he is trying to leave no doctor who stone unturned untarnished by by his by his ambition to have, have affected absolutely everything, everything that everything that fans have speculated about, either seriously or just in jest, in conversations in pubs, 20, 30 years ago, he said, "Oh, I can if I I can turn that into canon, I can make that work, I can make that feasible." And now it seems to me that he's trying to sort out the old unit dating debacle, the controversy about when the unit stories take place. When that's just something that fans laugh together about now and again right. it's not something the general audience are aware of it's not something that ever affects our viewing it's not something that truly any of us have actually really cared about but chris general thought that he could do what other writers that have come before what russell he, what russell wasn't willing to do what robert holmes wasn't willing to do what terence wasn't willing to do he's better than all well, of those creatives well, well, i can do it all i can reinvent this show in my image i, I honestly think that's how he looks at it yeah, well you know it's probably yeah he's such a bad writer because he's not very clever i mean that's right really, that's the same reason why joe jody whittaker's a bad actress he's a bad writer because he's just not very clever uh, uh and if you're not very clever you're not gonna know how bad you are so it's kind of like this weird catch-22 right but it's like you know he's absolutely awful and he doesn't realize he's absolutely awful and so he thinks he's good. <laughs> if it hadn't have been for the fact that there's no way that they could have seen the the Disney Marvel studio show Loki earlier in the year, it, because obviously they would have they would have have uh, written and filmed this. Yeah, this was filming around this time last year, wasn't it? Up to around Easter before Loki had dropped. Because there are certain similarities in this with all those sort of fixed points in time and time jumping and multiple realities and things. No, wait, wait. They were filming sort of this, up uh, in, this. Uh, in like January. That's really when they were started. For, uh, like they started in like November. Loki started around April time, something like that. April, May. Uh, yeah, but no, no. The reason Loki and this are similar is because they they come from the same same a uh, 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 school of writing, which is very tired, boring <laughs> ideas. Uh, where you get, basically the ideas are a platform to put these really annoying ideas, which are normally like uh, let's get rid of those evil white men. 
which and that's essentially what Loki was about. So they, and, and so then you know everything becomes perfunctionary. So it doesn't matter how basic it is. Then you're on the planet time. Then 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 you're in the time agency. Like who cares? Now we're ripping off Fallout. It's like it doesn't matter. All that matters is that's a black woman, right? And that's the only thing that matters. It's the weirdest thing. And as he's sort of eating up all of these other concepts, ideas, and, and spending characters left, right, and centre, and spending, wasting talent like Craig Parkinson, like Barbara Flynn, all these great actors who are just sort of in the outskirts, really, not really doing anything of any great, great consequence. And it's certainly not adding anything to their career in the long term. Whilst he's doing all that, he's also looking at concepts, mainstays like Unit, completely messing up their continuity, going to characters like the Weeping Angels, a much more recent creation that was still shrouded in in mystique and in it was still the stuff of nightmares, I think, until until this season. He's managed to devalue them. In, uh, 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 I'm I sure guarantee it. you, I guarantee you, Moffat is coming back to write a uh, a revival oh, episode. So. I mean, with Rusty I'm, Davis here, I'm looking, Gary, I'm, bloody to you. He wants to ruin. He is so pissed off. Well, now I'm looking, Rabbi, at the Ood who's sort of skirtling around in this episode too, wondering why is there a Ood there? What's he going to do to them now? That's Silas Carson back as the voice of the Ood. He's always I played guess the they voice had the of costume, the Ood. You know, I, you know what? That's the conclusion that I come to. It was a costume that uh, that was handy. Uh, people who remember this show when it was good will have recognised that. The guy yeah. with the squid face. I remember him from when from when I used to like this show. Put him on screen, stick somebody in that costume. Bingo, there we are. I think for the people out there who were hungry for Doctor Who to have uh, an aggressive sort of season-long arc over the last few years, because a few people have said to me, why don't they do a Doctor Who season that's just one long story? I've heard that quite a lot. I, and I even heard a lot of people at the start of this when Flux was confirmed that it was going to run like that, very excited. Even people who've been away from the show for a little while, either because of Jodie's horrendous performance or other matters, people who were excited by that. I think if you were one of those people, just five episodes into this, you will probably have changed your mind. You'll be thinking, what was I thinking? Be careful what you wish for. Oh, you know Is what? That... I still don't think it's as bad as season 11 and 12. I, I really don't. No, it, I really, it, really... it is. It's it is better than them, but only, yeah, only it's because the, it, yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the fact that there's no identity politics, very little identity politics in it, does mean it scores above for me. And I can see that Chris Chibnall is trying. We've spoken before about he's throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks, but it is in an effort. To entertain, but it's an, it's in his own interest as well to make this stuff stick because this is yeah, his legacy. Now. At last, he's scared. At last, he's scared. Right? Oh, yeah. I think fear is a motivating factor. I, I agree. Yeah, and, by the way, if you want to see a really good uh, um, Peter Capaldi single season story by One Story Serialized, check out Dr. Alex's channel. I've been plugging this guy like like crazy. Dr. Alex's channel. Dr. Alex will be on the show. He'll be coming on to talk to oh, us on Type 40. Oh, good. Year. I hope so. Yeah, this is it. And again, this is this is, this is is what I'm playing plug. I just had it here because I'm reading it because I like it. Okay, check this out. Uh, this is season uh, 13. This is the season. You want, you want season 12. Uh, season 13 is one complete serialized story starring like uh, uh, a Capaldi doctor. It, it, it's a sequel to season 12, which is a 
whole season, which is a more regular season, uh, um, that acknowledges and then erases the Jodie Doctor completely in a wonderful way, right? And it really, really worked. I, I listened to this, and he put out on YouTube as a book on tape. You can buy the you can buy the the book if you want. It's uh, uh, I, I, this is this is my it's the best claimed, book that's been put out right now I, by far, by far. Mm. Being cleansed by Doctor Alex. But the when I look, we're talking going back to what I was saying about the Weeping Angels and Doctor Who lore. I am slightly scared. We've only got one instalment of this left, and <laughs> the, the cliffhanger to this story seems to seems to hinge on the on a pocket watch, you know, the, the, the famous Gallifreyan pocket watch that's become symbolic in itself. Originally seen, wasn't it, back in series three, connected to that whole story about the survival of the master and uh, human nature and family of blood. The Doctor goes undercover as a human, doesn't he? So this is part of the lore, again, from a time when the series was really, really popular. From, yeah, from a time, no, too, again, from the Russell all, T. Davis this, era. This is all going to be dropped tonight. My my, my, my firm prediction is that the, the, the specials are going to be kind of standalone-ish after this, right? But this one's all going to be heavy lore. The specials going to be kind of standalone-ish. Then the last one is going to be very lore, uh, very Doctor Who lore-heavy. Right, uh, uh, when they uh, uh, whatever. Which is going to be a massive, they, they it's going to be a massive turn off, I think. And when and when you are when he's doing so by bringing out just the same as the comedian arch that he used in Fugitive of the of the Jadoon to introduce us to the Fugitive Doctor. Here we've got the pocket watch again, which, well, when we've seen it before, it contains it contained the essence of a Time Lord, didn't it? It was it was their entire, more or less, their entire being. That made yes. them a time almost, not just their memory charlotte almost like a soul i sort of saw it as like the soul of yeah exactly so it's more exactly. than memories so he's i didn't notice this until i saw a few other people pointed out so he's changed the pocket watch because now it's just it memories me. which i didn't click who on knows who knows it doesn't make none of this no, matters but but, the, but i was like you since i saw the pocket watch i was like oh so we're not going to get the answers this week because you're going you're teasing us again and then this is guaranteed then in the last episode we're just going to have a massive flashback of all no i reckon there's going to be a bunch of stuff i think that's going to be about a third of the episode will be the flashback i think the rest of it is going to be wrapping up the flux and yeah, however no, I look i mean they're going to wrap this thing up how long is tonight's episode i think it's more than 60 minutes i think it is a bit longer <laughs> Oh, goodness! <laughs> no, here's, here's my problem, Rabbi. Even if it's only a third, it's still incredibly boring to sit there and watch flashbacks. Because that's what we got uh, as yeah. a child. We talk so through I find, I find another story. I the whole story. thing agonisingly boring. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know how you differentiate between that being agonisingly boring and the other things being agonisingly boring. But Doctor no, Who I, is... Oh, it's only an hour! Thank God, you really scared me. <laughs> oh, I thought Six twenty to seven twenty. The prospect oh, of getting actual drama rolled out in that hour, not just more exposition, Charlotte. Just yeah, as you've described, things. more dumping of information that might make Chris Chibnall feel like he's Billy Big Big Bollocks for half an hour. That was just going to pass in time. That Russell T Davies certainly isn't going to care about when it comes to his turn to hopefully reinvent, reinvigorate and re-inspire 
from 2023 onwards with his all new Doctor Who. So it all just feels like people puffing out their chest. And yeah, I hate to say that expression about Chris Chibnall jangling his keys. It's so right, so appropriate. And you know, the only thing that the only thing that um, gets to me about it in the long term is that I do feel that the Weeping Angels have, have been damaged. And I feel that just as you've said, Charlotte, this does create uh, gray areas or completely reinvents what the pocket watch was supposed to be for, what these Gallifrey and fob watches were meant to be, what they were meant to represent and what they mean to a generation of Doctor Who fans, just because it suits Chris Chibnall's short-term goal to get him out of a bloody stupid storyline that he should never have started telling oh, in the I first think he place. Tended, I think he tended to use it from the beginning, frankly. I, I, I don't think he's going to get out of jail free card. I think I think he's always been a completely creatively bankrupt. Uh, speaking of creatively bankrupt, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the, the rabbi, the, the lord of the land, he's he's going to dematerialize now. We're going to catch him again at some point in the future. Can we tempt you back on to a later show, Rabbi, to talk about this? I, I, listen, it's always listen, in the rearview mirror. I'm, I'm easily temptable, baby. I'm easily temptable. It doesn't take much. Very good. Do everybody. Thank you for having me on. Good to see you again. Speak to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, yes, so as of recording, there's one more episode of Doctor Who Flux left to roll out. Just as the rabbi said, it seems to be a full hour's worth, aren't we? Lucky, lucky people. I'm going to try and do that in one sitting. I think when it came to watching Survivors of the Flux, Charlotte, this was a 48-minute piece of TV. You know how long it took me to watch this? A week. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, but it was nearly two whole hours. <laughs> in between the starting... It was just so scattershot. We were saying this at the beginning when we were talking about episode one, but this just felt like that amplified. And it's like, the problem is that Chibnall doesn't seem to understand that. He thinks just to have his characters having any movement is interesting. But no, Chris, that's not interesting. Seeing them go from location to location or having them being talked at. Like, he seems to think these make drama. And they don't. And the, this episode... You just sort of you didn't know where to keep your attention almost in like the worst way because like you said we had we had um bell and vinder and they were just there for nothing you had carvin easter there for nothing so i don't blame you for taking you two hours because it it gave you nothing to sort of cling on to as this is such a, it was such a patchwork charlotte i mean yeah. the thing that it's when I look back on it and Doctor Who history, and you think, okay, it, it, it was mentioned in the War Games, we've got Pocket Watch, we've got Weeping Angels, we've got all those things. And yet, you know, and, and often with Doctor Who, when you've been watching it for a long time, as I'm sure that some of the people who, who came to it with the new series know just as much as the classic fans do, when you watch an episode of Doctor Who, you're almost always reminded of, of other stories from times past, be it the Pyramids of Mars, maybe, or or Kinder, or Destiny of the Daleks, or the Ice Warriors. You know, you get these swirling images of, of past adventures and, and uh, glorious times. But with this, the one thing that stood in my mind, that <laughs> the one thing it, it reminded me of more than anything else, was the 1993 Children in Need charity special, Dimensions in Time, which is famous for being all over the place, incomprehensible, 
and uh, it, I think it's something that people sort of hand wave and say, okay, it's excusable because it was for charity. Chris Chibnall does not have that excuse, does he? <laughs> no, it's it's because it's actually supposed to be canon, proper series Doctor Who, and you you expect a lot more. And I think that's the issue. Even though I think some we have we have got lower expectations because of the last two series, but I still think there's a level you expect with Doctor Who. And he's in this he's... episode. It was just I sort of said when it was episode three when I was talking to you, sort of privately. That reminded me of like a child trying to paint something like with this masterpiece artwork and it's like a two-year-old trying to do it and this felt more like a person just hitting their head against the wall like saying bits of plot at you while they were doing it <laughs> well i can't ask the rabbi because he's uh, he's had to go obviously but i can ask you how many multiverses out of five do you give survivors of the flux i give it one because i like craig parkinson that's, that's where i can put it yeah yeah i think I've given previous installments of Flux. I've given two stars. I've never gone, never gone above a three. And I think that because this is no worse, really, than Once Upon Time. But because they keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again, I, I, I have to drop it down to a one. This is yet again another steaming great turd completely indefensible most of it is completely un it's completely forgettable and a, a great waste of uh, talent both behind and in front of the camera and if i never see this episode again it'll be uh be millennia too soon it's it's that simple all this talk of division it's time we divided our time now to uh, walk across to a whole multiverse that's running parallel on the fandom podcast network for a few words about all the other podcasts from all our friends over there concerning all those other great sci-fi and fantasy franchises thank you for listening we hope you're enjoying this podcast we'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the fandom podcast network it starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the fandom flashback podcast discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie and TV pop culture topics. Good Evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time-traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet, an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast with hosts Scott, Derek, and Nathan. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, a deep dive into the final frontier with host Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. And check out our newest shows, The Fandom Show, our monthly fandom podcast network live YouTube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom, and the FPN True Believers MCU podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe, including the connections to the original Marvel comics. 
You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. The Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram at Fandom Podcast Network and on Twitter at FanPod Network. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Oh, we do love to tease and tantalize you with all that, don't we? <laughs> and we can even clothe you two. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to tpublic.com, you can search for the Fandom Podcast Network and find a store full of all the team colors for all of those shows on everything from the T-shirts to phone cases, mugs, tapestries, you name it. Treat yourself, treat your other selves, and it all goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain, so everybody wins. Charlotte is rooted to the spot here <laughs> to uh, yeah, make our way through a quick look at the ratings for this episode of Doctor Who. It's not been great so far, has it? <laughs> In the four weeks that have come before, it's been largely a steady decline. There was a bit of a resurgence, I think, based off the fact that the Weeping Angels were in the previous episode, but generally speaking, unsurprisingly, the story of the, of the ratings woes has continued with Doctor Who this season, hasn't it, Charlotte? Oh, yeah, I think this six-part sort of serialised route they went has killed casual viewers. And obviously the bits that the that the card call don't like, but yeah. I think the, the structure's really hindered it for viewing figures. And to be fair, Charlotte, I suppose it could have gone either way, couldn't it? Because arc storytelling, you know, Chris Chibnall, the Broadchurch series is a prime example. If you've got the right story and the right actors in the right roles and you know your audience and you're in the right slot, then you can sort of work miracles with this kind of event storytelling. Torchwood Children of Earth is another great example, isn't it? And yet it doesn't it hasn't happened with this as it it hasn't caught on. Why do you think that that is? Just quality. I, th I think it is quality, but I think more it's Chibnall his ambition was too big and he's put too much in these episodes. A viewer might start to feel like, oh I know this episode, or I'm getting the storyline. He throws you to another character. And I think because he's done that for a good chunk of these episodes, it's just made there'll people... There'll always be something in any given one that you won't have seen where it's come from, yeah. and it will put you off any interest you've got in where it may be going to. It's that... it's You need to have a core, like, like through line that, that you sort of... Each episode needs to add to, and I felt like there has... He's not proper built up each episode when we got sold this serialised thing. They said each episode's going to like add on to the other, or they're going to connect a lot. I can't remember exactly. They talked a great game, didn't they? About that, and it just some of these episodes have felt like they've nothing to do with the one previously or afterwards. Well, I'd even say that there's been two episodes that were pretty much just filler, just people milling around, bumping into other people, having inconsequential conversations about things that didn't really matter. There's only really been one episode, the War of the Sontarans, that felt like it, that it was um, 
coalescing into something that people, if they were a casual viewer, would would happen upon it and feel like they've been told, been actually told a story. And you can see the pattern. If whenever he has to deal with the overall arc, whether that sort of division, I've sort of classed that as part of the timeless child stuff now. Whenever he's had yes. to touch on that stuff, it has fallen flat. But when he's when he's just had like a Suntarun story for a bit or a Weeping Angel story for a bit, that's been received a lot better because he... Because it's quantifiable. Seen... People know yeah. what the threat is. Sometimes it's something they recognise. They know when they're meant to be scared because that's the scary statue. That's the scary bloke who looks like the potato. There's some conventional action in there or some jump scares or whatever. And pe people like all that stuff, don't they? People, I've always said that people really, in their heart of hearts, even though we talk to a lot of people who, in this fandom now in particular, who are very, very cynical, I think at the heart of it, people do still want to be entertained, don't they? Well, they want an adventure. Doctor Who, especially the revival, has been an adventure. And that's what, even when Moffat could get very bogged down in his sci-fi and his complicated plots, he could still give you a really fun adventure. Like I said, it's it does feel burst. a while since we've had one of those. Yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah burst is a, that's a great word for it. Yeah, you get flashes and flourishes, but never anything that that holds holds a course. And uh, the ratings have mostly held their course, the course that goes permanently down until this episode. This one saw a slight uptick. There was three point eight two million people tuned in to see uh, Survivors of the Flux. I don't think this is any reflection on this particular episode at all. I think it's no. everything to do with the fact that the Weeping Angels were in the previous week and it ended on a pretty good cliffhanger. I think also, when I saw the reaction by online, that's the most positive I've seen the fandom after a Chibnall episode after that village. Even though I had my issues with it, the majority of people I was seeing were basically saying, oh, this is like Doctor Who from years ago. Like, we... we really? That, that sort of euphoria and it's and i think people like you said probably with that cliffhanger as well but i think people generally enjoyed for the first time bits of a chibnall episode seeing seeing and hearing some of the some of the bells and whistles yeah it did go slightly up so the previous week which was uh village of the angels itself that was uh, 3.45 million so this went up to 3.82 million that still isn't a massive up. I know certain no, people are celebrating no, it, isn't. it, but it's still. I think it's not enough of an uptake for safety. That's enough of an uptake that no. if you have a bad episode, you're gonna suffer the one afterwards, which is what I think is gonna happen for episode six. I think it's. Even I though, think it's absolutely unavoidable that they'll be down again for the finale. Even though it's a finale, he's his pattern hasn't been good for finales anyway, because I think no, the time was the fashion was him. Charlotte during. Stephen Moffat and Russell's time, the, the the ratings would go up again. If they had lost some, they would always go up again for those final two installments, but the last one in particular. Yeah, and I think from my memory, The Times Children was down, and I think Battle was down. I could be wrong on series yeah, 11. They both, they both were, yeah. And sure enough, you know, our belief that the higher, slightly higher, rating for this episode was everything to do with Village of the Angels and nothing to do with this. They would seem to be supported by the uh, the AAI figure, the Audience Appreciation Index figure. That's back down in the middle of where it had been for Village of the Angels and Once Upon Time. 
So at 77, that's sitting at 77, down two points from Village of the Angels itself. But this is the figure. This is how we can judge how the audience for this episode, how much they enjoyed what they saw on the night. These figures are registered directly after transmission as a, an instinctual response. Did you enjoy this? And uh, yes, yeah, so the idea is with this, because I know that people are still not too familiar with what an AAI figure is. It's, uh, it's the measure of how much the audience enjoyed the program. The score out of 100 is compiled by a specially selected panel of around 5,000 people who go online to a secure website to rate and comment on the shows that make up their television week. So the fact that that's gone down again says, says it all. It's not as low as the all-time low of Once Upon Time of 75, but it's, it's heading back down there. And yet another episode of the Chibnall era that is it's coming in in the 70s, which is, if it was any other show, Charlotte, as I understand it, these kind of AAI figures would get a show cancelled. Well, we've been saying this for years, all the data about this era, if it wasn't Doctor Who, let's say this was like a first run of a new sci-fi series on BBC One, it would be cancelled. And now, because I honestly think it's only because they know Russell's coming, that's keeping the show technically on air. It's just, it's like you've said before, it's treading water now. They know they've got Russell coming. They just have to get these last episodes, get those last specials out. And then they can put this in the in the rear view mirror. And that's the attitude I'm getting from the BBC. They can't wait to have it, have it away, have it out of the schedules yeah. so that they can usher in whatever's going to come next. Three years of um, banal nonsense that Chris Chibnall has has rolled out on the screen for for the audience of what is supposed to be a populist mainstream show. I don't think there's anybody out there in TV land left who really gives an F about this show. The reappointment of Russell T Davis did make headline news three or four months ago now. That was met with excitement. There are flickers of affection still in the hearts of the British public for Doctor Who. Who knows? Who knows what could happen? I genuinely, I think that anything could happen in the next two years. TV can change a lot between now and then. Who knows how, how Doctor Who will be delivered? By which point Chris Chibnall will be long gone. I can't imagine. It's kind of like the rabbi said earlier, Charles. I can't imagine where he's going to go. Who will have him? What sort of stories he even wants to tell next? And, and who for? And as for Jodie Whittaker, I can't help but believe that her career has probably been damaged by her part in this. She's been exposed as a, an actress who was out of her depth, publicly leading a show on screen for three years and leading it to its lowest ever figures and, and failing, failing in this part, failing to make her mark, whatever you, whatever you want to, however you want to label it, whatever you want to call it, an all round failure. We'll be back We'll be back though to talk about the uh, about the season finale, chapter six of Doctor Who Flux, called the Vanquishers, which I do really like that episode title. It sort of speaks of classic nineteen sixties Doctor Who to me. I'm not expecting uh, classic Doctor Who thrills from this. I do think it's it's all over, but the shouting, the fact that it lasts an hour, yeah, at one point I would have relished that Charlotte an, ex an extra ten minutes worth of Doctor Who. But I just think it'll just it'll be more undisciplined nonsense, half-realized ideas, uh, ill-considered performances, characters completely disappearing, uh, a few teasers for 
what's left of his era, which is just uh, which be three specials after that, during which I'm sure that he has plans to uh, completely cock up something else. <laughs> is it BBC Latin? Our, uh, yeah, yeah, I think he plans on making a squirm for as long as as he uh, as he possibly can. So yes, as of time of recording, this Doctor Who flux concluded on Sunday, the 5th of December on BBC One in the UK. It could be that you're still watching them too, whenever, still catching up. Listen and watch out for our review of the finale in due course, whenever that is. The entire series of Doctor Who Flux will be available on DVD and Blu-ray on the 22nd of January 2022 for the completists that they can't bear not to have it on their shelves in, in whatever form. That's the old girl that's starting up and calling time on this trip in our TARDIS. I'll be back soon, though, with another edition of Type 40. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been on the dedicated home of Type 40, type40.podbean.com, or over on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Podbay, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Player, Spreaker, all those places, or on YouTube, on the Spacebooks YouTube channel. You can come now and see us, as well as hear us in these video tracks. And, of course, we're still on the Fandom Podcast Network's master feed with all those other shows that Kevin was telling you about. So many treats for your ears pretty much daily. Maybe you'd like to get in touch with us and have your say. You can do that through our social media accounts, Instagram and Twitter, at Type40DoctorWho, or you can email us, Type40DoctorWho at gmail.com. And if you're feeling really, really brave, or if you're commiserating even over Doctor Who Flux, you can catch up with fellow Time Lords, fellow timeless children, <laughs> over in the Type 40 Facebook group. If you head over to Facebook and enter Type 40 into the search field, you'll quickly find our group full of uh, generations upon regenerations of Doctor Who fans. They're talking and they're sharing and, and again, they're arguing about Doctor Who past, present and future. Charlotte, where can people see and hear more from you on social media and on YouTube? Well, on social media, it would be in the in the Type 40 Facebook group. I'm there, I'm a member. And now and again, I sort of post stuff or comment on posts. In, don't you? Yeah. And then I'm part of Type 40 Live. If you want to see and hear some more madness, which we all get up to on a Thursday. <laughs> and that's about it. Fantastic. I love it when somebody can come on and do some of the plugs for me. And you can catch Svila Betkin, the rabbi from another planet, on his YouTube channel, which is just called Svila Betkin. And you can, I think he puts out Doctor Who videos most days, sort of video diary format videos, where he'll talk about the latest crazy theories or ideas that he's had or review present episodes or big finish audios or whatever. Svila Betkin is one of the most prolific and certainly the loudest of Doctor Who voices on YouTube and uh, yeah you never quite know as you've probably gathered from the show you never quite know what, he, what he's going to say next but it's always said with a good heart and with absolute affection it's sheer joy for Doctor Who he's one of the biggest Doctor Who fans that I know you can catch up with me on Twitter and Instagram as the space book where I am uh, I'm sharing tweeting and instering as well as moaning and groaning now and again about all things geeky inside and outside of the TARDIS. So look for me over there. That about covers it. Just one episode to go, Charlotte. I, I'm relieved, I have to say. If you've been enjoying it all and you don't know what we're talking about, we get it. We're here for you too. 
we always have the time if you have the space here at Type 40. But yeah, that is it for this show. Thank you very much. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. A Doctor Who podcast is a Spacebook production for the Fandom Podcast Network with music by Problem Being.